That's good. All right, we're going to jump uh, jump right into to our our message for the, for the day. Um, we've been looking at a series called Messy Church. We've been going through the book of First Corinthians. Um, I don't know if it's been good for you, but I've really enjoyed it and gotten a lot out of it. So um, I'm good with that. Uh, we're, we're dealing with last week. We, we it was mentioned we we were talking about uh, accountability. Um, if you remember and and and. Uh, how important and how vital that is. And accountability is, is so important. That's, that's a part of the, the root of the, you share testimony about the power of holding each other accountable um, this morning. Today, we're gonna, Paul's going to kind of shift his, his focus. And, um, and, and it's kind of the other side of the same coin. So accountability, right, is, is, is largely us holding externally someone else, encouraging someone else. Today we're going to talk about how do we deal with, how, do, how are we supposed to treat ourselves? How do we, how do we um, what, what's kind of the default attitude of, of, of a follower of Jesus? Uh, how do you hold yourself accountable? Um, and so we're just gonna gonna jump right in. Uh, we're gonna pick up in in, in chapter six. Um, you, you'll see throughout today. We're gonna go. We're gonna do chapter six, seven, eight, and nine today. So I promise we'll, we'll get through it. It'll be okay. Um, and the reason we're doing so many is because what what you see in these is, these chapters is that there is a, a, a theme that arises through them. In each one of these chapters, it's really a si- similar message that, that Paul is teaching them. He's just showing them in each chapter a different area of life in which it applies and how it applies. So it, it makes sense that we kind of group all of these chapters together. In chapter 6, he's going to talk about... Um, uh, sex in chapter seven, he's going to talk about marriage. In chapter eight, he talks about uh, food being sacrificed to idols and what they were supposed to do with that. Um, and then in chapter nine, he starts talking about himself. And all of these, he's he's kind of bringing it back or answering questions or or bringing up issues that he's heard about, and he's trying to help them deal with specifically this idea within themselves of how, what do I do with. Um, and we're having these conversations in, in our nation. How, how do you balance, how do you negotiate your rights and my rights? Your, my responsibilities and your responsibilities. Your freedom and my freedom. Um, in, our, in our current culture, we have this idea, and it's, it's, it's not a new one because we even see this in, in the New Testament church. This idea, this, this desire... This thought that freedom should be, uh, everyone should be free to do what it is that they feel they should be free to do. And, and the problem is, it, it, it's, it's not realistic. It sounds good, right? Um, it, it sounds right. It sounds um, like that's a good goal. But the reality is, it, it's an impossibility, you can't be free to do anything you want and I can't be free to do everything I want because there are things that overlap that only one of us can do, right? There, there, if, there's a, if, if there's a cheesecake here and I want to eat the whole cheesecake and you want to eat the whole cheesecake, we're both not free to eat the whole cheesecake. There's just one cheesecake, right? And so there is, there is, a, there is freedom is a, is a good thing, but it, it's not... Um, it, it can't exist without guidelines. It can't exist without a structure. Um, things get, get really ugly really quickly, and we're seeing that in our own culture. When, when everybody's idea of freedom is, I, can, I have the right to do whatever I want, and you have to deal with it. And so uh, in chapter 6, the, the issue, the topic at hand is how do we negotiate our own rights and freedoms as it pertains to, to sex? Um, and, and Paul has quite a mess to clean up here. Uh, re- remember, you have, we've talked about this before, uh, in this church in Corinth, you have a church full of people that are from a, a, a bunch of different backgrounds, from literally all over the world. Um, and, and, and not like... Not like, you know, 
Christians like, oh, I was, you know, it's not a church full of people that used to be something else or used to live a certain way, you know, and they've been walking with Jesus for 20 years and they, you know, and they, they, they've gone to Bible school and they've done all that. No, these are, these are like, everybody's new. <laughs> like everybody, because the church is new, right? I mean, this is, this is 50 AD, Jesus would, I mean, Jesus just resurrected like, what, 25 years ago. Like there hasn't been like, there were, Christians only existed for, <laughs> for, for a couple of decades at this point. Um, so there, there's a, a lot of, of different beliefs and, and different um, values that are still very much alive in, in the people that, that are trying to form this faith community. Um, and we need to understand, they needed to understand what role sex has to do in the Christian life, right? This is kind of, to many of them, this is a, this is a, a new culture that, 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 that the Holy Spirit is trying to birth in them. And so um, anytime you're trying to establish a, a, or, or join a different culture, there's a big learning curve, right? Because a lot of it is, uh, your intuition just, it doesn't work. When you're in your own culture, things make sense. But when you're learning a new culture, um, there are things that are, are, aren't, aren't necessarily, and we talked about this a, a couple weeks ago, the difference with, you know, differences versus divisions. Culture is all about those differences, those things that are, that are different from one to the other. And, and they don't, they don't make sense when you're in another culture. Um, it, 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 it doesn't make sense to me and my sensibilities that um, if you don't know, if somebody asks you for directions and you don't know where the place is that they're asking for directions, it doesn't make sense to me that you would try to give them directions. But there are cultures where out of respect, out of deference to those people, you, you, you will make an attempt whether you know where the, 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 the concert hall is or not. There's a, there's a funny missionary story that goes along with that, but because but th- it, it's culture, you have to learn these things. Um, and both Jews and Gentiles came, uh, came to, to this community and they held different, different beliefs on, on many of these topics. Uh, Jews, on, on, as it related to sex, uh, they agreed, they were... Um, the, the Jews, their, their mindset will make probably the most sense to us because we are largely from a Judeo-Christian, like that is our kind of root in our culture. Um, and so even if we're not living that way, at least it makes sense to us, right? We, we kind of have this like baseline value that those things are good. So the, the Jews, they believe that uh, sex was for only within marriage between a man and a woman, um, Gentiles were, were much more open and varied, um, and they tended to make a delineation between sex and marriage. So those two things were not necessarily um, had to be linked together. One was a, a, a bodily physical act, and one was a, a relationship. And so they, they didn't necessarily had to be, had to be connected to each other. Um, Marriage, which we'll get into later, but I'm just going to kind of give you, just trying to give you a sense of how how diverse these thoughts were on some of these issues. Jews uh, on marriage, they believe that, um, some Jews believe that it was, not only was it important to get married, they believed it was a sin to not get married and have kids if you were physically able. That the, that the, the, when, when God said, be fruitful and multiply, um, that was that wasn't just a uh, a permission. That wasn't just a good idea. That was a command. And to, if you were going to faithfully follow the Lord, then this was this was the way you had to do it. You you you. If you were physically able, you had to find a wife and you had to help help populate the earth. That was that was the way that you uh, respected and worshipped the Lord. Not all Jews, but a lot of Jews. That was their perspective. Um, and that, we'll see in a little bit why that. Why that that belief had to come into kind of needed some parameters for that. Um, Jew, some Jews believed that it was a personal choice to be married or, or or be celibate, but those were the choices: you were married or you were celibate. You weren't. Yeah, 
Um, all, and they all believed um, both, both in Gentile culture, largely in Gentile culture and in Jewish culture, they both believed that marriage was between a man and a woman. That was the understood default relationships of the day. And I bring that up because there are um, some, even within the, the church that are now challenging that, right? Um, and, and I want to just be clear that that was the default understanding of the day. And if you're going to read scripture, you have to, you know, we say this all the time. Scripture is what? It is for us. It's not to us. And if we're going to understand what it's saying, we have to understand what they would have heard, what, how they would have understood it. And so culturally, um, the default back then, when, when it's talking about marriage, that the understanding for the hearers at the time would have been um, between a man and, and a woman. There wasn't an assumed uh, same-sex marriage arrangement. That was not a part of, regular part of culture at that time. Um, so, so we've been talking about Jews and Gentiles. It, even within the Gentile population, though, there was a, a real significant divide on, on some of these issues because of the, the way life played out, right? Because um, how many know that the... Those with power and those without power live very different lives many, much of the time. And, and it played out like that um, in, in, in Corinth. Um, to the upper class, marriage was important. Um, it could be arranged or not. Um, it, fidelity was, um, and this is, this is an important kind of caveat, fidelity was applied to sex with people of the same status. So you, if you were a upper crust, you know, um, if, you, if you were somebody important or, or wealthy or powerful, um, it would be considered cheating if you, if, you, uh, if you had sex with another aristocrat, but not necessarily if you did with, with a slave or, or a temple prostitute because they were of a lower class. It was inconsequential. That didn't really matter. Um, it was an exception. We don't count that. That doesn't count towards this, right? Um, and, and we see that uh, play out today a little bit, and in, in, in sadly, in, in, in culture, and, and it's even crept into the church. We just, in, in some other ways, like we, we kind of tend to treat porn this way. It's not, not really cheating. It's, it's, it's not an issue of fidelity. It's this other thing. It, it might, maybe it's not a great idea. Um, but but it, it, it's, it's not the same thing as cheating. Um, and uh, that's, God would not agree with you <laughs> on that. Um, that, that it, 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 unfaithfulness is unfaithfulness. You, you don't, and, and unfortunately, we as humans are, are so talented at sin, we can, we can be unfaithful in a relationship without even having another human in the room with us. This is... Um, you know, we have a talent for coming up with, with, with bad ideas, and that's certainly one of them. Okay, so that's the upper class. Uh, and then the last thing I want to uh, note on this is the lower class, their, their, their uh, kind of experience in sex was, was informed by, by what we were just talking about in a, in a very negative way, right? So um, they, they, they married, they could, they, would, they could marry, they would marry, um, but much of their experience was, was the lower class being taken advantage of sexually by the upper class. Um, you had, because of this idea um, that it didn't really count if you cheated, cheated down, right? There was a lot of, as you can imagine, there was a lot of cheating down. <laughs> but this, isn't, this wasn't just romantic affairs these were uh, power dynamics at play. These were, these were relationships where someone, where, where the, the, lo the person in the lower position wasn't in a position to, to really choose to engage or not, right? This was, this was the culture. And you can imagine the, the church of Corinth, it said, we read earlier, I think it was last week, that uh, Paul says, not many of you among us were wise. Not many of you were wealthy or strong or powerful. This was a church full of lower class Gentiles. 
I mean, you know, that, that, that's going to bring some baggage to a church. If you have a big chunk of that church that's effectively been sexually abused and maybe by somebody that's also in the church. Because when a family got saved, if the, if the head of the household got saved, the household got saved, right? A lot of the time. And so you would have, potentially, you would have um, a, a church where, uh, you know, they come to Jesus and there's a transformation, praise God. But now we got to work out this mess that's been going on in this house for however long. So that's the... That's, that's kind of a, a snapshot of some of the things that Paul's trying to address on this issue of, of, of sex. And um, his general point is, is simply this. Um, he reminds them, you're free from sin. You're not free to sin. Right? right? <laughs> the, the point of our freedom is, is to, to free us from our sin, not to give us the ability or free us to be able to do more sin. Um, he, he says in chapter 6, starting verse 15, he says... Uh, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For Scripture, united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Paul explains here that when we sin sexually, we are actually offering something that isn't ours to someone else. Your body was purchased by the blood of Jesus and it is now his. And we do not have the authority to give it to anybody that he, in any manner or any situation that he doesn't deem appropriate. He also teaches us that, that it's a sin against our own body because there's, you, are, you are bringing, you're making a connection. You are literally bringing into your body um, a, a part of someone else. There's, there's a reason it's one of the most um, prevalent and powerful tools that the enemy uses, right? He, he, he is pumping our culture full of, of, of sexual ideas. Why? Because, because of this, because it's such a powerful force for good or bad, depending on how it's used, right? Um, sexual sin invites brokenness into every part of us, the mind, the body, our relationship with God, our sense of connection, our ability to connect. Listen, God doesn't punish us for sexual sin. That sounds weird. Let me explain. <laughs> the negative effects are the natural consequence of not using sex the way it was created. There's a difference uh, between uh, experiencing a consequence and a punishment, right? A punishment is you do something wrong and uh, we're, we're, we're Sending you, you know, you, you commit a crime, you go to jail. We're punishing you. Time out. We're forcing you there because you did this thing. Um, it, it's it's not like you got. Think of it more like. Think of it more like a fried turkey cooker. Sounds weird, but the U.S. Fire Department responded last year to more than a thousand fryers or thousand accidents involving turkey fryers, resulting in an average of five deaths. 60 injuries, the destruction of 900 homes, and more than $15 million in property damage last year, just from turkey fryers. Now, are the turkey fryer companies mean and vindictive? Because they sold you these turkey fryers and look at all the destruction that's happened because of it. No. The, the damage was done because people are lazy and don't read instructions. <laughs> they don't set it up away from the house as far as they say. They, don't they fill the pot all the way up to the top and forget this, this little thing called displacement that when you put another object into liquid, it displaces 
right? We don't think about thermodynamics and we chuck frozen turkeys into boiling oil. This is not, this is not God punishing. God doesn't hate sex. He doesn't hate the people that are doing it. It is a natural consequence of anything that is done. It's true in sex and it's true in business. It's, in, it's true in our, 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 every relationship you have that, that God creates it to work a certain way. And when we don't work it the way it's designed to work, things break. Now, on the flip side, we see in, in this scripture, though, some beautiful and powerful truths about our relationship with Jesus and about sex. That verse four, 17, he says, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. That phrase, one spirit with him, it's, it's a marriage phrase. Just like, remember back in Genesis, the two shall become one flesh. This is that phrase, but, but Paul tweaks it a little bit because it's, it's, we're joining with God. It's not, a, it's not a fleshly union. It's a spiritual one. But the, 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 he's borrowing that imagery. He's saying that, that, that we, when we become a, a follower of Jesus, when we enter into his kingdom, we literally are, are married to him. We, we have that intimate a relationship. And he says, when that happens, uh, he says a little bit later that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. God breathed his Holy Spirit into you. And he says, God bought you at a high price. One, that should stir our, our affections and our appreciation because that high price was literally nothing less than himself on the cross. And it should also, um, you know, we talk about, talk, there's a lot of talk about how, you know, the world's just suffering from this, this uh, self-esteem, low self-esteem. You know, you want, you want value in your life? You want to you be secure in who you are? Focus on the fact that, that your value can be, if, if you will align your, your, your mind right to it, that your value can be based on the value of the God of the universe's death. Because that's what he paid for you. And as any, anybody that's done any, any economics at all knows that that's it's what, a, it's what the value of something is, right? In business, what's, something, what's the value of something? What someone's willing to pay for it. it, it it's not the price tag you put on it. It's something that, it's, it's the check that someone's actually willing to write for that thing. And God was willing, willing to write a check with his life to purchase you. Once again, Paul exposes this mess and then shows us how Jesus is the answer, that we are united with Christ. And although we are free, we must submit our rights to his plan. And this is the theme we're going to see over and over, that, that on all these topics, God died to give us rights and privileges, and our responsibility is to give them back. And if we move on to chapter seven, um, what we'll see that play out this chapter, as I mentioned before, we're, now we're going to, he's moving in, he starts talking about marriage. And um, this isn't marriage, like, this isn't the chapter you go to when you're trying to read, figure out, like, me and my wife want to have a better relationship. This isn't that chapter. This isn't the chapter, this isn't great for premarital counseling. Um, that, that's not the topic of marriage that, that Paul is addressing here. Um, he, and, and he's addressing a number of other issues at the same time. Um, other life situations, like what, what should you do if you're a believer and your spouse isn't? You remember, because all these people just got, just got saved, and so some of them, their families didn't, and now there, there's some confusion. Uh, should a single person get married? Is it okay to be single? What happens if you get left by your spouse? Does it matter if I'm circumcised? What does my faith have to say about me being a slave? There's a bunch of questions that kind of get uh, rapid fired off and Paul is gonna try and address all of them with some principles. And, um, but I think it's, it's, it's important that we understand that, and this is one of those unique chapters where Paul is very clear that he is speaking to a group of people about the circumstances in their lives based on his own experience and wisdom. 
This is not, this is not scripture for time and eternity. Not all, we've talked about this at the beginning, that not, not all of the Bible is designed to be a directive on how you should live your life. It may sound weird, but it's true. And, and how do I know that? Um, well, I'm just going to read you some, some phrases I'm going to pull out of this chapter, uh, just, so you, you, just from Paul's words. Um, verse 12, he says, I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. In verse 25, he says, I don't have a direct direction from the Lord for them. And in verse 35, he says, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. This, this chapter is, is a lot of Paul giving fatherly advice, not, not legalistic directives for all of church every time, everywhere. And, and there's reasons for that. Um, and specifically, uh, he says in verse, he kind of contextualizes this whole thing for us. In verse 26, he says, because of this present crisis, I think it's best you remain as you are. Um, a lot of the advice in this is, is Paul basically saying, like, you can get married if you have to, <laughs> but you're better off not getting married, right? Like, is this the, the chapter where he says, it's better, you know, it's better to get married than to burn with lust, but anything short of that, just don't bother, right? <laughs> it's kind of what, he's, what, he, what he says here. And it sounds weird, and it sounds to some degree in conflict with, with much of the rest of Scripture, right? Where, where, where marriage is, is a beautiful thing. It's a reflection of, uh, of God's character, and we're called to, to, we are called to, to be fruitful and multiply and all these things. Um, and this verse 26 puts it in the proper perspective for us, that there was, there was a crisis going on, and Paul is trying to help them navigate the life circumstance therein. See, uh, this letter was written around the time that the Jews had just been kicked out of Rome. Um, also, the Jewish community, there was this growing rift between the Christians and the Jews. Up until this point, and even during this point, the, 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 it, was, it was kind of seen as this was still one faith. And there were certain protections that the Christians in this moment were still being afforded because they were considered a, a Jewish sect. But in a, a very short time, that's going to go away. There's going to be a, a divorce from, from the, the way, from the followers of Jesus and, and Judaism. And, and they're going to get removed from that umbrella of protection. And then um, you're going to see persecution start to ramp up. And then in, in less than a decade, uh, a, a guy, remember that cute little guy, Nero? Um, you know, one of those brutal, brutal emperors to ever exist, um, is going to burn the city of Rome and he's going to blame the Christians. And then he's going to set, that's going to set into effect um, a, a long season where it's literally open season on Christians. And this is the season where you have them getting, you know, all of the, the, the torturous martyrdom stories that, we, that you've probably heard over, over time of, of them literally getting dipped in, dipped in vats of oil and put up on stakes to, to light his garden parties where they take Christians and throw them down a slide that had a razor blade that just kept getting wider till you got to the bottom. And by the time you got there, you were in half and... Oh yeah, you landed in a vat of vinegar. The Romans were really, really good at torture. And they unleashed, they were about to unleash all of their expertise on the church. Not the best environment to start a family. Not the best time to, 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 to try and... Um, have to worry about, about feeding your kids or, or hiding your kids um, when you, as a community, you're all about to lose all your rights. Um, and so it's in that context that, that Paul is advising them. Now, what, how much of that he, he saw coming or how much of it was just uh, an unction from the Lord, we don't, we don't really know. Um, but Paul is telling them, guys, that, that there's a Christ, we're in Christ, there's something coming. You, there's a motivation, there's a reason I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this. There's a reason, uh, there's a driving motivation why, why you need to probably just stay the way you are. 
Um, Because the the question is, for us, is what does this have to passion passage have to say about about our lives, right? Um, I mean, that's interesting stuff. And maybe if you're a history nerd like I am, that stuff is just, it's just fun to, not fun, but it's it's interesting to hear. But how do I apply that, right? As far as I far as I believe, like that's not going to happen to me in six years. Like we, we're not, I don't think we're there yet at least. So what is, what is, what is the value to us with this part of, of, of scripture? Well, and I think there's, there's an important takeaway. Um, if we take a step back and look at his advice and not look at the specific directive, but look at the motivation behind it, because we're going to see in all these questions that, that, that uh, Paul is answering, there emerges a, a, a unifying motivation. Whatever the answer is, whatever answer he gives, uh, it, it's kind of, they're all based on one kind of um, question that, that underlies it all. Um, and I'll just read a couple of his, couple of verses that have kind of his answers to some of these questions, and, and then, we'll, then we'll look at See if we can find the the motivation behind it. In verse 13, he says, And if a Christian woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he's willing to continue to live with her, she must not leave him. For a Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are. Verse 18, For instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. And the man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now. For it makes no difference whether a man is circumcised or or not. The important thing is he keeps God's command. Verse 21, he says, are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. That's a tall order. (laughs) Are you a slave? Don't worry about it. No biggie. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave to Christ. Verse 30, he goes on, he says, uh, those who weep or, or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those, uh, those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them. For this world, as we know it, will soon pass away. I want you to be free from the concerns of life. Uh, an unmarried man can spend his time doing the, the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. See, the driving motivation behind all this advice is answering one question. What will put us in the best position to reveal God's kingdom? In that situation, what, 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 which decision is going to reveal the nature and character of Christ in the world the most? I think what we're seeing, uh, what we're seeing here is a real life case study of what it looks like to live in Christ. Romans 12 is one of the most famous verses, you know, in in scripture. And I think this is such a, Paul is here in in Corinthians, Paul is giving giving the church there real time examples of how to live out Romans 12. Romans 12 says, "And, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead you give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. This kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors or customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul continues showing us how the, this life in Christ plays out in every area of life. He's saying that, guys, look, it, it is all about this. In view of God's mercy, you have to give your life. The, the call here is Jesus gave everything. Now you have to give everything. It's still not a fair trade because you had a whole lot less to start with than he did. Right? <laughs> You're still getting the better, better end of the deal. The, the, the person on this earth that gave the most of all of us, and who knows who that is, still got a steal in relationship to what Jesus gave up for their salvation. Paul continues, chapter 8. 
he applies the same thing again. He's just going to hit it again, only this time he's talking about food. Now, food, you know, we talk a lot about food, but they, they had a little bit different wrinkle in it uh, of controversy. See, much of the food back then, most of the meat was, avail- was at some point sacrificed to idols, right? It's the kind of the first stop it would typically go to. And then from there, um, they would, it would be used in ceremonies or they had places actually in the temple that you could come. It was almost kind of like a, kind of like a cafe or a restaurant. You'd go and eat, just go eat a meal at the temple. Um, and then that meat was also sold and was largely what you would see a lot of it. It was mostly what you'd find in the markets. Like when you go, you know, go to a grocery store, it all kind of trickled down from, from the temples. And so there was, there was a, a lot of, they were having a lot of discussion. There was a lot of confusion on, on, okay, what, what are you doing? Do we have to be vegetarians now? I don't understand what, what, what's going on. Um, some people thought said, hey, you know, answer a, well, we don't eat that, right? We don't eat meat anymore. If it's sacrificed, if it had anything to do with the temple or idols, then we need to stay away from it. Um, some Gentile believers thought it was, it was wrong and it was dangerous to me. Because remember, they're coming, out of a, they're coming out of going to that temple believing that eating this meat in this temple was, was giving me the power of this God or whatever. And then you had some, some Jewish believers that were still struggling with the whole kosher thing. That, yeah, I know Peter just said I don't have to, but this feels weird. And now you had this temple thing on it. And I, I think we should probably just stay away. Just don't eat the meat. Then there were some others that had, you know, answer B. They said, no, we can eat the meat. It's fine. It's fine. Some, some believe that since the, those gods weren't gods at all, it didn't matter. They, they said, you know, we are free in Christ. Those gods never had any real authority. Jesus is stronger than all that stuff. What does it matter? I, I should be, we should be able to eat this meat and not be worried about it because those things have no power over us now that, now that we are, have our faith in Jesus. Not wrong either. So here's Paul's advice. How do we do? Is it A? Is it B? Paul, what, what do you say? And Paul says, you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with weaker consciences uh, to stumble. For if you see others, for if others see you with their, with your, I love he puts in quotes, superior knowledge, uh, eating the temple, eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience? By eating food that's been sacrificed to the idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when, when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something that they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. I'll read that one one more time. Uh, and when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something that they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So if what I causes, what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. So Paul, is it A? Can we eat it? Is it B? Can we not? Paul says, no, it's C. It's Christ. What will help those around me stay and grow in Christ? Do that. That is the answer. It's not about the, it's not about the, the, the eat the meat or not eat the meat. It's about why, why you are eating the meat or not eating the meat. And then Paul, Paul then uses his own life to kind of reemphasize, explain it. He says, um, he kind of explains his own. He says, hey, look at me. When I come to you, I, I, I don't take a dime from you. Even though, and he makes the he makes the establishes that 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 is the expectation that is would have been a, perfectly normal and reasonable that as as their leader as as a minister of the gospel he's entitled he has a right for them to support him while he, especially while he's there um, even when he's gone but but he he never did he refuses to take take this right. Um. And he says, he says it this way, he says, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. And then a familiar passage. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? 
So run to win. All athletes are, are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I love the fact that he, he, he's using imagery from right, just right from down the street. Remember, at the beginning of this, we talked about how, um, you know, there were, in Greece, there were four uh, games, big giant games. The Olympics were one of them. And one of them was the Isthmian Games, which happened in Corinth. And these... Um, these athletic events that, that Paul lists specifically are the events of those games. So Paul is literally kind of like taking right out of their culture. Who knows? Maybe the games had just ended, right? And, and so he's, he's talking about, and the, the cities would have been full of, 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 of these athletes and, and people, you know, it's not like the Olympics now, you know, we think of these events where, um, People from all over the world come in, you know. No, when, when the games like this happen, everybody that was around went to the game. So the, it, it's, a, it's a fair assumption that most of these people ha had physically been to these games and seen these competitions and, and seen the, how much effort and how much discipline it took to, to be a great athlete and win these prizes. And Paul here says that, that run, this running, this training, the, the discipline is, is this sacrificial laying down of his own rights for the sake of the gospel. That's what discipline, that's what, that's what if you're training for, for athletics, it is all about laying down your own rights. It is all about sacrifice. It's, I'm giving up the right to be comfortable. I'm giving up the right to, to not have blisters. I'm giving up the right to, to eat yummy food. I'm giving up the right to, to make my own schedule. Why? Because I'm, I'm trying to I want to become this. And Paul compares that to, to his, his spiritual life and calls them to it. That He's saying that, that it, it, it's the sacrifice, not the preaching, that will determine his success even. Let's read that last, that last verse again. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete. I train you to do what I should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might, my, I might myself be disqualified. Why? Because the preaching, the, the power wasn't just in the preaching. It was in the obedience. It was in the sacrifice. It was in the, the, the being like Christ, being in Christ, replicating Christ in the world by giving up my rights for the sake of others. That's what empowers the preaching. That's what sets the table for people to be willing to listen to what it is you have to say. And so all of these subjects, all of these, whether it's sex or marriage or, or, or his rights or what he eats or what he drinks or, or have money, not have money, Paul, Paul puts them all kind of in one bag and says, it, all of it, the, the end answer is are you willing to lay it down for the sake of the gospel? What rights are you willing to lay down? And as we, as we close today, I'll ask you the same question. What rights in your life are, are you open-handed with? Or maybe a harder question, what rights aren't you? <laughs> We love our rights here in, in, in the United States. <laughs> and, and there are, we are fighting wars with each other over trying to enforce our rights. And there are some, there are some rights that, that are worth going to war over. Let's, let's get that, let's get that, that clear. Matter of fact, we're, we're in the middle of a weekend celebrating, remembering people that are willing, we're willing to, to give the ultimate sacrifice for rights that are worth fighting for. But we also just fight for our rights that we like. <laughs> and, and when we are in Christ, we are these new creations. That's not the MO anymore. If we're going to be like Jesus, we, our, our instinct is to give up anything that is hindering our ability to, to, to spread the gospel, to be like Jesus, to, to, to equip, to share, to encourage, to help somebody else. 
What rights do we need to give up? Our right to be comfortable. What rights are we holding on to uh, uh, too tightly? I pray that the, the Lord would just begin to show us these things. That, you know, our, our right to be treated fairly. You say, well, that's a right. That's like a real right. Well, yeah, it is. It is. Jesus had that right. He, he gave it up. There was um, a guy I, I don't know if say I knew. I never met him in person, but I had some conversations with him over the phone. Um, guy was in, in uh, his name's John. He was in prison in, in Israel um, for years. Uh, I think he's, I lost, lost, lost track of the story. This was years ago. Um, he was in, in prison in Israel for murder, I think it was. But had a conversion experience and um, was, was, had become basically like the, the prison um, evangelist <laughs> in there. And uh, there's a story I heard about John one day. Um, he got these clippers, uh, these, you know, hair clippers, which is a big deal, in, in, especially in Israeli prisons. They're not, they're not American prisons, right? These are, um, <laughs> they are much less concerned about, you know, talking about rights. They're much less concerned about the rights of prisoners than we are here. Um, but he got these, these clippers, and, he, um, and they were super valuable and, and mean a lot. Well, they're in his cell, and... and um, uh, somebody stole him. This guy stole his, his clippers that he had just gotten. Still brand new. Um, it was new in the box. And um, John knew who, who it was that, that stole the clippers from him. And so he, he, he thought about it and um, he went and he, he confronted the guy and he said, you know, I, I know you took my clippers. Um, and I could tell, I knew they were gone because you left the box there and the, the thing was open and you were the last one there. So I know you took them, but, um, you know, they're going to get damaged if you don't have the box. So here, and he gives him the box for the clippers. And, uh, and the, the, the guy came to faith in, in, in Jesus. Because John was able to see the opportunity in the offense. You know, there, there, there is a power. You know, we talk about the martyr, you know, the martyrs and the, the power of, of being martyred for Jesus, and especially in the early church. Um, that's exactly what it is. You know, you know, the term martyr doesn't actually mean being killed for Christ. It just means being a witness. The term literally means witness. It just ha it got associated with being killed for Christ because they, they, came, they tended to come uh, next to each other so often. If you were, you, were, you, you were a witness and then they killed you, right? And so they kind of, the terms kind of got commingled. But that's, that is what we are called. When Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, it's my witnesses even to death. Now, most of us probably, that will not be, we won't get that opportunity. Um, but if, if, if the Holy Spirit can, can shift our, our, our perspective, shift our mindset, where, where when we are confronted with a right that is being violated, if, our, if, if, if we can learn to be sense enough to the Holy Spirit that, that when that happens, our first question is, Jesus, is there, is there an opportunity here? Is there a way I can, I, can, I can let go of this right and you get the glory? That you're, you're edified, that you're, you're glorified. If we can learn that skill, we will start to transform the people around us. Unsaved and in our own community, in our own relationships. It's... It's really hard to be mad at someone that is constantly letting you take advantage of them. Especially when it's not out of this, it's not out of a, 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 a people-pleasing, fear-focused, oh, I just want you to love me, so I'll let you walk all over me. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about, um, we're talking about having the strength to stand up like John and confront and still extend the grace anyway. <laughs> Say, uh, Jesus was a master at this. He would, right, he would call out, he would call out the thing. He says, no one takes my life, takes my life. You're not killing me, but here you go. 
And that's the life that, that God calls us to. That's what Paul is, is trying to infuse into this, the, this Corinthian church. That guys, this, this me, these messes that are, are all over the place are all over the place because we're not, we're not there yet. We haven't learned the secret of being sacrificial in our rights. And it's hard when we, when we think about these things, when we think about uh, uh, our, our right to be liked or our right to prove ourselves right or our right to spend our money how we want or our, our right to spend our free time how we want or how, uh, our right to say what we, we want on social media or our, our right to be angry, our, our right to be, to be hurt. But Jesus is looking for some people that are willing to write him a blank check with their lives. And he has every right to do it. He's earned it because he's already paid for it. He's already laid down more rights than you will ever have. I just want to close with a, just the word of prayer. And just in your own heart, I just want to give you an opportunity to, and ask the Holy Spirit to just search us and speak to us individually. Father, we, we've been talking about rights. Um, Lord, I just ask, uh, as we still our hearts, and uh, would, you, would you invade our minds? Would you speak to our hearts? If there's an area, a specific area for each, each of us, any of us, um, if there's a right that you're calling us to lay down, if there's a, an area of rights that we, we, we have not submitted to you, if there's a person that we, we need to lay our rights down in front of for, for the sake of, of your, your character being revealed, for the sake of, of your kingdom being expanded, God, would you show us that now? Say, speak to us, Lord.